Hey there, everybody. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. It is Sunday reading day where I read from a paranormal theme book um, with permission from the, uh, from the authors and the publishers. Today I'm reading from The Night Visitants by Anna Maria Manalo and Thomas Conwell. We're in the third, uh, I'm not going to say the third chapter, but the third round of, of reading in the book. I had to read midweek, about a couple weeks ago, because I had a... Uh, I uh, say client, I guess that didn't show up on the regular radio show, uh, so I was able to do that. And then last Sunday I read as well, but we were banned at that point on TikTok, so I couldn't go out on TikTok. But today we're over on TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. I just want to put the word out for everybody on TikTok that you know, if you're not into ghosts, you're not into UFOs or any paranormal stuff or anything like that, feel free to leave. You don't have to stay, okay? Because getting banned is is uncool. You know, I, I haven't done anything to really warrant getting banned but i but, but i've been banned i think twice or maybe three times already just for simply reading a paranormal book it might have been the style of the other book i was reading i don't know but because this is a totally different book so we'll see what happens but you know if you find something offensive that that i'm reading take off all right i don't i, I just I, I just don't understand it all right i do have permission from the author and the publisher to read this book online Okay, because that's why I said we're going to TikTok, we're going to Twitch, we're going to YouTube, we're going to Facebook today. All right. All right. If you're watching from Facebook and you like what you hear and see, please be sure to hit those like buttons. Show me some love, a thumbs up, smiles, hearts, that kind of thing. Because what that does is there's an algorithm on Facebook. And I forgot to introduce myself, didn't I? Let's try it again. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We're 45 strong up and down the state. And what that means is that if you think you might have a paranormal need, we can get to you. It might take us a while, but we can get to you. But if we if it does take us a while, we do have mediums on staff that can call you and talk to you about what what's probably going on in your home or residence and calm things down until we can get out there. Okay. What we're doing today is uh, this is our Sunday reading day. And I started this. When I first started getting on TikTok, uh, trying to read every Sunday from a paranormal themed book, if you're into the paranormal, this is a place to be, okay? This is a place to be. If you're trying to relax on your Sunday, this is a place to be, all right? So tonight, we're going to be reading The Night Visitants by Anna Maria Manalo, and and it's a really good book, a really, really great book so far. We're in uh, our third round, chapter, we're up to chapter 18 now. Uh, if you're watching from Facebook and you like what you hear, please be sure to hit those thumbs up. Yeah, send me some hearts, send me some smileys, because we're on an algorithm. And what happens when you send the hearts and smileys, that means the algorithm, we end up higher in the algorithm and more people see us. So if you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. Same thing with YouTube. Same thing, algorithm. Send me some smiley faces, some thumbs up, and things like that. People over on TikTok, same thing. Send me, you know, tap that screen, double tap that screen for hearts, you know, so we could be up in the algorithm. Again, I'm reading from this paranormal theme book. It's going to be about UFOs and things like that. If you're uncomfortable with it, then you don't have to stay. All right. I don't think there's anything offensive in this book, but you never know with people. That's just what it is, right? Okay, so we're broadcasting live right now on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitch. So uh, we'll get right into it. And uh, like I said, we're in chapter 18, and the, or the reason why we're so far in at this point, this is our day three reading. The reason why we're so that cool for that triggers a light. Look at that. The reason why uh, we're, we're we're like that far in is because I was banned. I, I was banned a couple times last month just for reading from a paranormal themed book. But the other book was a little more saucy and and different things than than I thought it was going to be. 
So we'll just see. Okay. And like I said, if you're uncomfortable with me reading this book, then please, please leave the room. Okay. I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have moderators yet, but I don't have time for that. You know, just, just don't get me banned. Just, just, just don't send complaints. Okay. Cause I'm laying it right out. All right. I'm laying this out to everybody, Facebook and YouTube. I'm reading from a paranormal theme book. This, this one happens to be about extraterrestrials. Okay. Normally it's ghosts. All right. So without further ado, let's get into this and I'll be reading for about an hour. I'll be, I, and I can't really read your comments from where I'm at because I'm doing it off my cell phone. Okay. All right. But at some point when I get my, my new tablet, I'll be able to read your comments and all that good stuff. And, you know, but please, if you like what you hear and you enjoy it, please uh, tap that screen, tap that screen, tap that screen, because I am looking for, for likes. I want people to like me. I want people to like me. I want people to like what I do because we're not only doing this, we're doing other things as well. Karen Clark and I are starting to show to talk ghost stories. We're going to be talking ghosts. We're going to be doing psychic readings. We're going to be doing um, tarot card readings and things like that right here on this, on the, on, on this TikTok channel. So, you know, this is just the beginning, just the beginning. I'm trying to get my feet wet. And if you could tell, I do have a goal for uh, some uh, nice helmets. If you could help me out with that, that'd be great too. I'm trying to you know support my channel and all that good stuff. Okay, well, I'm going to start reading. And like I said, please hit that, please tap that, double tap that screen if, if you like the story. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 18, Tom. When I have a problem, I'm striving to work through, puzzle on, concentrate on, mull about. I think I dream about it. In this one, I woke up at 3 a.m. thinking deeply about oxygen. Yeah, plain old O2 oxygen. I stayed up from 3 a.m. onwards, from dark to light, like I'm pushing for an awakening of my Asian mind, a light coming on in the darkness, an ephemy. An elimination. It became a very strange early morning wakefulness since, since the ephemy did, did come. As my thoughts crowded my mind, like busy bees in a hive, keeping me awake, something or someone pressed thoughts into my head, as if to stir me from my own moribund stupidity. I sat, I sat suddenly up, overwhelmed by thoughts that were not my own. These ideas were not my ideas. My training would not have prepared me to even conceive these types of thoughts, nor could I even analyze anything like them remotely. No, the thoughts came to me, but not from me. Definitely not. Does that make sense? In the aftermath of these rushing thoughts, akin to the inspiration of artists who later created works larger than life, it occurred to me that I was perhaps gifted these inspirations. Who gifted them, I do not know. Mozart, Einstein, even Hawking was inspired by agents unknown or maybe their higher subconscious that just sat there waiting for the right time. But I, on my own, am not gifted. I'm ordinary even simple. Who were these agents? Perhaps the same American Indians who were on either side of my bed during an earlier dream were responsible. What made them pick me, a man in the 70s, drawn to mediocre things like a stack of pancakes, black coffee, trips to the public library, and a ghost hunt now and then? Why pick me? Was this about my blog again? The thoughts were these. No water, no oxygen are necessary to sustain life on a different planet. Change the dimension. Change the vibration, a higher frequency. You won't need them. So what's the catch? I ask my own thoughts that were not my thoughts. There has to be a catch here. A higher consciousness means you won't be dependent on oxygen in order to sustain life. Life as we know it would need oxygen. 
but not at higher consciousness. Does higher consciousness mean no mortal body? Would that mean death? How would travel be possible then? Travel? Travel is a three-dimensional concept like oxygen, water, fire, and earth. A dimensional shift does not entail travel. No travel needed, no oxygen, no water, no food. Nothing. Just you. You. Unfettered by human needs. Your consciousness in a higher dimension. To see more, hear more, feel more. To be. Then I fell asleep again, like a baby. When I awakened, the sound of the morning rose with me. My wife talking on the phone, the scent of bacon, eggs, and something on the griddle. My thoughts that were mine surrendered to the light of morning. My primitive three-dimensional mind took over. I, me, in a three-dimensional world, with my three-dimensional body, identified the smell on the griddle, sizzling. Pancakes, my favorite. I had stepped back to the third dimension. For now, I'll stay here with my black coffee and my short stack of pancakes. 19, chapter 19, September 1955, Riverville, Connecticut. Dad's voice grew very excited as he told Mom, as if he was reliving how the young soldier sobbing on the ground, begging for the Nazi he had just killed to be buried. No, Dad said, we are not giving a burial to, to him. He doesn't deserve it. He can... He can just stay out there. And the vultures can clean up his carcass like a common carrion. We, we can clean out this building like the vultures. This German building in this German neighborhood in the middle of a country that destroys by sending us here. This man had come home from fighting in World War II. Okay, so this is what I want to clarify. All right, we're not talking about people killing each other just to kill. This, is, this, is, this, is, this, was, this was World War II. And he brought, the, the, this father had brought back a souvenir from the war. Okay. So no, it's a, if you're offended by it, see ya. Dad walked the rubble and began collecting everything that glinted, that appeared precious, and the rest followed suit. That's when he mentioned the silver that he had in the duffel bag. The watches and the gold that glinted. A cup of some type used in a ritual was in a cupboard where the glass was shattered. Dad said it was also stolen, as the markings showed a Jewish last name. Plundered by the Germans from families they murdered and sent to camp, as he himself plundered the building. The spoils of war, Mom said. Should we show the kids? They won't be interested anyway, Mom, Mom said. There was a pause. Yeah, I think we should. We already told them, but they got too sleepy. But Shailene will remember tomorrow. She would. She's curious because we forbade her to touch any of it. Mom said. I think I'll try to pawn them and keep just one, Dad replied. The one? Which one? Are you sure it isn't loaded, Mom asked. I emptied the bullets. I, I emptied the bullets out. Remember? Shailene reeled back from her father's reaction as she watched. He had a look in his eyes that was not the father she knew. He was cold, but there was something there was something different about him. She watched her mother react. Her room appeared her mom appeared taken aback by the reply, the coldness, the brutality of her own husband's statement. Shailene backed away on her haunches her father's words still resonating in her ears, the vision of the dead soldier forever imprinted in her mind. She felt someone behind her as she pushed with her arms, legs, pumping away in the kitchen light. She couldn't take it anymore. She thought that neither could her mother, who was wiping the table with a rag repeatedly as if it would remove what her spouse had just said. As Shailene's legs pumped backwards, she accidentally allowed Steve, who had fallen asleep on the carpet behind her. He was cruel like a kitten, oblivious. She sighed. 
Glad he hadn't heard the last few minutes. The shadows from Steve's bedroom lengthened as Shailene looked up at the ceiling. She sensed a foreboding menace enveloped the room. She was reluctant to return to her room alone. There was a scrimshaw of darkness on the ceiling, a strange configuration that in her child's eyes couldn't make out. Shailene shivered and reached to awaken Steve, too heavy for her now to carry. Steve stirred, opened his eyes to his sister's finger on his lips to, silence, to single silence. Their parents continued to talk in hushed tones downstairs as if they had heard her, heard her stir, uh, stir. Perhaps they knew the violent images floating in Shailene's head as she ushered her brother back to his own bed and briskly but silently entered her own room. The door closed and latched shut. Before Shailene shut her eyes to the ceiling that loomed above her, she heard her father's voice rise and snap at her mother. It wasn't like him. Not like him at all. He tolerated the children, but he doted on his wife. It was close to three in the morning when Shailene finally gave in to sleep. She turned in her, she turned in her head what she had overheard over and over. Her little child's mind worried with, wor with worry children were capable of, then mentally exhausted. She finally fell into a deep slumber, confident that for now, her brother was safely fast asleep next door and her sister nestled in her crib. Chapter 20, Shailene. Again, if you guys like what you hear, send me some hearts. Tap that screen. Uh, same thing for Facebook and YouTube. I went to school and promptly fell asleep during recess. I awakened everybody staring at me, a pool of drool marking, marking the var varnish on the desk in front of me. My lunchbox was open and my glasses sat watching. The teacher loomed over me, the one who had such a long name that I can't even remember. I put my glasses on as they were new and helped me to see the huge face of that teacher. She looked angry, almost sad, like I disappointed her. She scolded me, her bouffant hair wagging as she took a, bam a bamboo stick out from the folds of her dress and whacked me on the palms. Years ago, that's what teachers did. Okay, that's how they punish kids. My hand stung like a Dickinson David Copperfield, feeling dirty and small. She tossed the bottled up cleanup at my Kleenex at my face, and I wiped my mouth, then the pool on my desk. Everybody in class was laughing as they ate their miserable wonder bread from their desk. Not to be outdone, I grabbed my half-eaten sandwich with extra jelly and stuffed it in my mouth, closing the dented tin lunchbox as I chewed. The grape jelly descended faithfully to the edge of the desk, joining the clump of Kleenex on my lap. The embossed picture of Betty Boop grinning from ear to ear in the seat of her pink sports garb, stared back at me from my closed lunchbox. Betty appeared to be mocking me. The teacher grabbed my lunchbox, then grabbed my collar, still scratchy from laundry starch, and ushered me out of my seat. The Kleenex and grape jelly both slid in a heap to the floor. The principal, old man with a dent in his head and a green bow tie that reminded me of Mr. Bluster from Howdy Doody, sent me home after asking why I had a large bruise on my back. I told him someone pushed me while descending the fire escape to catch the school bus. He looked at me like he had been stuck, then proceeded to sip his sarsaparilla with a straw. I could still smell the, I could still smell the root beer. It was a brand we sold at our store. He looked like he was on the verge of asking me who, but instead he asked me if I was being bullied. Yes, I said. Who? You won't believe me. Who? Tell me, please. I haven't seen them yet. He stared. I haven't seen them yet. He stared at me for the longest time. I'll tell you if I catch them. Go home, he said. I walked home. 
It was a long walk and a cold one, as I didn't get to retrieve my coat from the back of the teacher's closet. When I got home, I made a beeline for the pantry, needing the comfort of my snacks. Mom intercepted me and shut the pantry door with her foot so I couldn't open it. She touched my forehead, declared I had a fever, which I did since it was so cold, and the sniffles. And my sniffles began. She didn't lecture me about what got me sent home, but instead made, made me soup, which was incredibly tasty, as I loved chicken. Then she tucked me into bed. It had been an unexpectedly busy day after a sleepless night listening to Dad and Mom talk about the Denasi shot. Shot with a gun that was now in my bedroom ceiling, right above my head. I was so tired that as soon as Mom closed the door, I was out like a light. I didn't care anymore. A scratching sound woke me. The door to my room, by the foot of my bed, began to open. A scratch on the wooden floor, out in the hallway. Scratch, scratch. I had a fantasy once that my parents took me out for ice cream, and as I licked the ice cream cone, Steve came in joyfully laughing. I asked him why, and he pointed to the door of the ice cream shop. Outside, my dad carried a little white puppy, all fluffy. Scratch. I inhaled, now fully awake. Through the now open door came a dog. He or she was white, an indeterminate breed, staring at me. This one wasn't fluffy. A short hair. I wasn't scared. Dumbfounded, maybe. Its paws clicked on the wooden floor as it walked towards my bed. It appeared to be inquiring. Suddenly, I was on top of it, tearing it to shreds. I watched myself her, do that to the dog in horror, tearing it like I hated the animal and didn't even know. Again, you don't like it, you can leave. I cried as it bled. I cried as it died. Then something stirred. I felt something behind me descend from the ceiling. My eyes fluttered open. I looked around my bed, my head moving. No dog, just a dream. I laid back, silence. I felt my heart flutter. It was pitch dark. Outside, the sole light from the street lamp a block away weakly bounced off my light blue wall. I began feeling nervous, like I was on the first day of kindergarten. I shut my eyes, willing for the lamplight to get stronger, where there would be less shadow. I must have slept through the afternoon and missed dinner altogether. Suddenly, something growled. A dog? I was awake this time. I can't look. I squeezed my eyes shut. No, I don't want to see a torn dog. I don't want to see what I might have really done. We don't have a dog. I want a dog. Why would I kill him? Another growl. This time the sound was closer, near me. A mark of some kind in the ceiling. A growing splotch, like something had spilled up there. The ceiling was bluish in the dark of night, but it became darker as if something bled through. Right where one could untuck the folding the, the folding stair, it was right where one could untuck the folding stair that Dad had climbed on. Something was bleeding right through the ceiling. I wondered as I stared up, eyes wide, could something push the stair down? Down would be right over my chest. I gasped and screamed, but the scream locked in my throat. Something like a shadow was descending from the crawl space, like dark paint. It was coming down towards me. The stairs were still tucked up there, but it, or they, were leading through. A deep shadow. A black form like a night without stars. I pulled, a, I pulled an arm to reach for my glasses, but my arms were pinned to my sides, hidden under the blanket. My mind screamed. I was trapped. 
I struggled to break free. Break free. Then my arm shot out finally. I reached, trying to turn my head, my glasses. I groped, found them. I put them on. The ceiling was empty. Nothing. I sighed, releasing my breath. I felt better. No sniffles. But there was something else. That's when I felt it. There was something standing by my bed. August 2017, chapter, chapter 21, August 2017, Lake Winnipeg. I'm going to try this, okay? This is, this is, no. Lake Winnipesaukee, okay? Lake Winnipesaukee, New Hampshire. Let's hope I got that right. The bus rolled down the two-lane blacktop, skimming, it seemed, an endless road that dipped and rose. The road turned to the right and rose as the bus edged closer towards what appeared to be a peninsula. As the bus gained momentum over the next rise, the motor roared and the vista unrolled to reveal a huge lake. Glimmer. It glimmered at serenity, dappled by sunlight, which flecked off a gigantic surface in deep blue, betraying a depth of 180 feet. Nice. At the front of the bus, Rita reached for the microphone secured near, near the driver and began talking into it, explaining the history of the area. Her voice boomed over the, over the hum of the motor of the large Mercedes engine, commanding the attention of the 30 passengers in their cushioned seats, the coach's air conditioner almost silent. At the right side of the road, she looked up to peer over the roofline, shielding her eyes from the glare of the sun's rays, which broke through the foliage that towered over the bus as we passed. The road hugged the flanks of the, of the White Mountains, the cover of trees waving a silent welcome. Her vantage point was probably the closest she would get to see the majestic sight of the largest mountain range in New Hampshire. Tom sat halfway down on the bus on the left, listening to the comforting sounds of his wife's voice while he watched the scenery unfold. The bus lurched as Rita placed the microphone back in his cradle. They had arrived at a scenic view, and the passengers, expectantly, began murmuring in excited voices with the anticipation of stepping out of the bus after the long drive. Tom made his way down the narrow aisle, Stepping down the white, uh, stepping down, step down, his white pants and blue shirt sleeve, shirt blowing in the hot breeze of August. Rita turned and signaled him to the closest refreshment area as she followed the passengers headed for the restrooms beyond. Tom reached for his wife's hand as they sauntered up the path together, noting the babble of families and children picnicking at nearby tables scattered around the perimeter of the rest stop. They would be there for the weekend. Tom glanced down at his cell phone turned on the service, which allowed the mobile to roam and connect him to the internet. Three bands showed, signaling a tower unobstructed by the mountain nearby. He raised the mobile as he walked and took a snapshot of Rita smiling, a mountain resplendent in sunlight captured behind her. They entered the coolness of the cafeteria, where a throng of people were standing in lines to grab a lunch, a drink, or a snack. It was 2 p.m. Rita stood in line at a Wendy's while Tom studied his mobile checking the Amazon site for his latest book. They are here, Midwest UFOs. It was now live in the vernacular of an author who had just uploaded the second book. Tom exhaled, realizing he now had a second book published and thought about the maps he had carelessly left on the dining room table. Dear, look up. Tom looked up. Rita was pointing at a souvenir store nearby. A midsummer hats, racks of postcards, and a panoply of goods that made up the melee of a souvenir shop, he spotted stuffed toys of a UFO saucer and aliens in blue with cartoon eyes. Their large antenna pointed out. 
He laughed. Nearby, he spotted framed photographs and books. He left the line and approached the photographs. It was Betty and Barney Hill, the now famous couple, who were abducted in the 60s by an unknown flying craft. He felt Rita next to him. You should buy a copy and maybe one of the saucers. Tom chuckled and grabbed a book. Chapter 22, 1955, Riverville, Connecticut. A book fell on the floor as Shailene pulled up the blanket. Darkness through the cotton fabric. She felt something shift as the floorboards by the foot of her bed creaked as if a weight was upon it. Something musty and old suddenly wafted towards her. It smelled of unwashed clothes, dirt, and something she couldn't quite put a finger on. Labored breathing and urgency, there was a group. She sent staring at her, just a few feet at the edge of her bed. Shailene wished her parents would exit their bedroom to take a bathroom break. Anything. Anything to break the silence and the lights to come on in the hallway. Then a cough. A child's cough. Steve. It must be Steve. Did he catch her cold? A whine. Definitely Steve. She felt a hand by her bed, leaning down near her ankle. Shailene pulled the sheets off her face and looked, her concern for her little brother now overriding her fear. Four children, different ages, stared back at her in a huddle by the foot of her bed to her left. The closed door behind them. They were dressed as if they were from the 1940s. They were filthy and appeared faded. Their clothes, their hair, their grungy faces, doleful sad eyes, mirroring grief, anxiety, exhaustion, and coldness, endured through many nights, and hunger, to the point of starvation, telegraphed to her mind. <laughs> I keep hitting this. The group stood silent and motionless, looking back as if in silent pleas for help that was out of reach, even too late. Their clothes, tattered, dusty, with holes that showed open sores and bodies emaciated, showed them from four showed them to be the four fallen children. Their eyes, empty and cadaverous, stared at a quiet scream of the helpless. Okay, again, this is a warning for everybody over on TikTok. If you guys don't like what you're hearing, you don't have to stay here. Okay, just don't just don't file a complaint. Get me blocked. It's a book. All right. And this and the father had fought in World War II over in Germany, and he brought home. He brought home souvenirs from the war. Okay, and this does. This is what's up. This is what's up above her head. So she's seeing things, ghosts and stuff, from the souvenirs. All right. Their eyes, empty and cadaverous, stared in a quiet scream of the helpless. They looked like victims who survived a bombing, a catastrophe, a tragedy too difficult to grasp. Behind the huddled specter children, Shailene saw woods, a forest shrouded by mist, a fine mist of what appeared to be coal or powder. The mist wafted around the children as they stood there in a solid stillness of, of a trance, eyes boring, their collective sadness at Shailene. She was with them in this world as she stared mesmerized and locked and realized she was seeing children who were not, not in Connecticut. They were telegraphing something bad, evil, a massacre that took place in another town, in another country. Shailene sensed a country far away, far away from the United States. She could, in the dimness of the room, see right through them to her bedroom door. That's when Shailene, locked in the embrace of terror and curiosity, let out a scream that went unheard. Her throat had locked again. Her scream escaped through a child's eyes, mirroring her terror. And in that instant, an unspoken recognition issued from the visitors. Shailene was terrified. The night visitants faded in reply. Slowly, 
The sounds of the night returned from the window, the passing cars and the water and the water moving through the old pipes. However, the sadness and menace lingered as the floorboards and the bedroom door became vivid again. Shailene was alone. Finally, Shailene screamed the scream of a child. Footsteps. The bedroom door across the hall opened. It was her mother. Millie approached a shivering Shailene, turned the lamp on by her bedside. She looked appalled as if she had to, to see a ghost. Colin, Colin. Shailene's father, still in his undershirt and loose pajamas, appeared behind her mother's head. How did you get that? Colin asked, gasped. Shailene had bruises under her eyes, like bruises on the eyes of her visitors. 23. Tom. If you guys like what you hear again, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitch, hit those like buttons. So if you're over on TikTok, tap that screen. Tap that, please tap that screen. Chapter 23. Tom. The building toppled, crashing into itself in an explosion of cement, glass, and brick. The unmistakable humming of an earthquake. Cars on the ele elevated freeway stood as if in surrender. The credits panned up, the documentary over. I reached for the remote and shut off the small flat screen TV. That's California. Earthquakes seemed to be part of, part of life there, and then a big one predicted to split the San, the San Andreas Fault, having San Francisco all the way down past San Luis Obispo into, San, into the San Fernando Valley. I pulled the blanket around me and darted out to the night and darted out to the night air of the deck. The wood, newly treated, smelled of varnish and oak. The lake was just below, a mere twenty yards from the Airbnb. From the Airbnb, a real bargain as rentals go, especially at the height of summer. We would return to, to the bus the next morning to rejoin the tour and see some vineyards, shopping, then dinner on our final night. Tonight was for relaxing, meditating, and taking in the view from the deck. I could get used to this. Rita was freshening up after dinner and planned on joining me for a stroll down the lake. A small boat and a couple of canoes for the more avid younger set were moored on the jetty. I thought it would make a nice end of the evening to walk along the lake and take in the scenery in the silence. As I settled on a chair and observed the night around the house, the tall pines whispered in, gentle, in a gentle breeze. I surveyed the area of wood I surveyed the area of wood, taking in the headland, the, the headiness of the scents of the night jasmine, something fresh and new. Below the deck, along a small stream with some rocks, were fireflies that lit up the dark. I pulled out my mobile, eager to capture the brief vacation and post it on Facebook for Tim to see. I snapped a few photos, looking at the viewfinder in my phone. An old one that no one under 30 would dare keep. It was sufficient for me, just as I had snapped the last of the stream before the fireflies dissipated, Rita exited, and I helped her down the wooden steps onto the stone path and towards the lake. It was close to eight, so the night was young. Rita had on a loose shift of sorts, flowered in blues and yellows. We were both relaxed and ready to take in the scenery at a pace that, 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 that would lull us into a complete night of rest. We sauntered, we sauntered together towards the jetty, curious about the little fishing boat. We stood near it like children, eager to step in and wet our toes. Rita pointed, noting the fishing poles that were left there with worms still wriggling on an open tin. There were some fishermen nearby, I commented, looking up to see who else was in the vicinity. I saw no one. However, it appeared we were by ourselves. Rita proceeded down the path 
down a path parallel to the water and stopped to face the water. I nodded to a picnic bench nearby, and we walked towards it, just a few feet from the edge of the lake. We sat, my arm around my wife. We chatted about the day's events, the shopping, looking forward to some planned areas on the itinerary that we hadn't seen before. Then, a lull, a comfortable pause in the conversation. I watched the water ripple. The lake appeared deep from our area. Idly, I wondered what type of fish the fishermen were catching in the late evening. Look up. I glanced in response as Rita, who sat on my right, I'm sorry, at Rita, who sat on my right, but she had her, she had her eyes shut in meditation. It sounded like a voice without a gender. Something was ahead of us, just above us. I looked up. Over the water, less than 100 feet, it's hot in here, were bright flashes of red light. They were larger than a harvest moon. White light appeared from within the red flashes at its core. I stood enthralled, riveted to the lights. I was speechless. What are they? I turned to Rita, still seated in repose. I reached for my mobile, fumbling in my pockets. I must have left it on the deck. Then, as suddenly as they appeared, the huge light shot away from view. Fast. On the eve of my second book, as in the first, another sign from the heavens. Ask. Just ask. I sat down, transfixed and stupefied. It had to be a coincidence. Again. Chapter 24, Shailene. Let me have a quick drink here because it is, it is warm in here under these lights, I'll tell you. Okay. They returned the next night, and the next, and the next, and the next, growling. They were from another country, another part of the world I'd never been to. It's not in Connecticut, not the countryside like the parks or the streams that Dad took us for swims in, in the summer. Like dogs that were vicious and angry, the growling preceded the children appearing in their clothes. I could tell they were angry at me. I don't know what made them angry, as I had done nothing to them. Were they expecting food? Water? They looked like a storm left them outside, but even worse, they looked like burned, scorched, where they looked burned, scorched, and parched. I remember those days when Steve would look emptily at my black eyes. He pointed at me, at them, a question. Poised and said, I had no answers. The first time the bruises happened, Mom applied ice on them. The ice cube sealed in a bag and called the attendance lady to excuse me from school. It was a Friday, so inside I giggled as I now had three days off from school, totally unexpected. The eyes didn't hurt, not at all. My bruised eyes scared me as I looked in the bathroom mirror. They gave it to me to remind me of their tattered, spect of their tattered specters of misery, growling as they watched me nestled in bed. What happened to them? I guess I'll never know, but as time went on, as I saw them at the edge of my eyes, I found out. They demanded of me to know. I guess they were angry that I didn't know. After a while, I took them with gravity as I grew older. I began to dread the growing darkness of the fading afternoon sun, which would herald their return. It became every few nights when they came in a black smoke making a cloud like a thunder shower about to come down, except they didn't come down like a shower outside, but inside my bedroom. They didn't come out as much as during the day, except that one day when one pushed me on the fire escape. I think, in retrospect, it was a move on their part to get my attention, or perhaps 
to get at the contents of my lunchbox, which they must crave, food. Something so basic to me that was a treasure to them. Okay, guys, if you like what you hear, tap that screen, tap that screen. Same thing with Facebook and everybody else. Show me some love. As time went on, I found out the town itself had some real strange history. A haunted town at the edge of two states. Ours was one that seemed doomed for lack of a better word. I made a point of leaving crumbs of snacks, cookies from the store below us, bread, and even milk as a peace offering. I just wanted them to leave us alone, particularly since Steve was too young to be traumatized. It went on and on, and sometimes I felt like I would just scream. I got used to being frightened, always on alert, even when my eyes began to droop, and Annie would start with her questions as she grew to be a talkative little girl. By the time things took a turn for the better, Annie was about 16. It happened while my sister and I were at a New Year's Eve party. We were attending some upper crust kids from high school. Annie grew to look like a lot like mom, with dark brown hair like mine. Her eyes were a perfect blue, and you could see it from afar, as she didn't need glasses. She attracted a lot of boys, as she was really pretty in a, in a demure sort of, sort of way, which was the fashion back then. I was more the tomboy type. But nevertheless, Annie made a point of letting me know about the parties in town, as I was her protective older sister. Steve always went with her, as they were closer in age, but she pushed him away when there was a love interest nearby. The New Year's party was at Annie's friend's house, whose parents owned a bar at the time, just a few blocks down on the same side of the street as our building. Small towns back then were really small, where all the activity happened on a few streets. Our street happened to be the center of everything. Opposite our building was the local movie theater, a vantage point where I saw everything happen. When I arrived at the bar with my boyfriend, the party was in full swing. It was probably because it was so close to midnight. Everyone was dancing, and the merriment was liberally doused with alcohol, which flowed from the whiskey to vodka, beer, and other mixed cocktails. But then there were curfews, like the te but like teens, we didn't pay any attention to them. I certainly did, as I wasn't close to my parents. But I wondered how my sister was doing as I watched the merriment pro progress. Everyone from school was dancing, the music was dancing, the music was loud, and the entertainment was a live band that played top tunes of the 60s. The Beatles, the Monkees, you name it. The band was so loud that I couldn't hear what my boyfriend Bob was saying. But that was all right. I was focusing more on my dancing and the lights that were changing to the beat of the drummer. Then the worst thing that could happen happened. They ran out of alcohol. Beer, to be specific. Bob and I decided we would help by delivering the beer as we were already there at the bar. When Annie's friends came to fetch the beer, we helped carry the beer out of the car and followed in our own little used Chevy Camaro to check in on Annie at the friend's house. When we got to the house, the people were waiting outside, including Annie. I wondered if the loss of beer was that important to make people at a party stop and hover outside in anticipation of more drinks. When Annie, Annie stepped up and told me the town was on fire, I was taken aback, as we had just been driving for about 10 minutes. 10 minutes it took for half of the town to be demolished. While we were in transit, somebody at the friend's house got a phone call that a fire had begun at Montgomery Ward, the department store. Chapter 25, 2017, Earthquakes and UFOs. 
please tap that screen. If you like what you hear, tap that screen. Facebook, YouTube, if you like what you hear, send, send me some thumbs up and some smileys and all kinds of stuff, whatever you got. The glass shattered into a thousand shards, shimmering as it descended onto the marble floor below. As the broken glass descended onto the floor, the people scattered for safety. Nearby, between the flashing columns of, of expansive foyer, a view of a large bridge. It buckled like a toy train miniature, except this bridge was the San Francisco Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge. Massive red beams of steel descended into the water as the waves moved into a tsunami, breaching the banks where traffic was instantly overpowered by waves. Tom watched from the family room, from the family room flat screen TV. The sound of catastrophe filled the room, and the adjacent kitchen where Rita stood, wiping dishes, dry on the counter. The little dog dashed for her crate, huddled and huddled. As screams and harried statues of voices raised in frantic terror reached a crescendo. A quiet moment as a man dressed in a search and rescue uniform stands with a microphone near his lips off screen. Someone raised questions. He was being interviewed. The man shared statistics. Let me grab some. I'm going to probably have to get up and go re re reload my water, you guys. In fact, I'm going to do that right now, okay? See if I have any water in here left. Yeah, I'm going to take a quick break and go grab some water. Be right back. Yeah, it is hot in here. I shall return. Okay, sorry about that, guys. It is just incredibly hot under these lights in here today. Ugh. Whew. Some days are hotter than others in here. Today is one of those days. All right. I'm not even putting my headphones on because I was getting a headache because of the heat. So I'm just going to go without it. Okay, so um, a quiet moment as a man dressed in a search and rescue uniform stands with the microphone near his lips. Off screen, someone raised questions. He was being interviewed. The man shared statistics and information on the rise of UFO sightings before and in the aftermath of a quake. He explained that the last footage was a dramatization of what could literally happen when the big one hits California. The scene quickly changes to another epic earthquake footage, this time somewhere in South America. This one, the voiceover explains, was real footage which resulted in thousands of deaths. 
Where is that? Rita asks as she puts away the dishes. Looks like Peru. Maybe Ecuador, Tom offers. Tom reaches for the small remote and turns up the volume. Again, sightings of unidentified flying objects were seen on the increase, the voice, the voiceover concluded. How did they prove that over any other day? Tom asked out loud. Did they do a study? Rita ventured. What study? Tom retorted. Rita shrugged. His, his interest peaked. Tom reached for his mobile and Googled. He shook his head minutes later as another building collapsed, not by the demolition, but by its faulty design and construction. The announcer pronounced it the intensity of a 7.9 on the Richter scale. Oops. The, the HNK News, an outlet from Japan, came on. Behind the anchor were footage of flashing lights and zipping craft in the sky during the earthquake. Captured during the earthquake. Look at that, Tom explained exclaimed. Tom stood, glanced at his watch. Where are you going? I need to get some maps. Rita glanced at a stack on the coffee table. What are those? I need more, Tom said as he unplugged the cell phone from the wall, now completely charged. Tom hands the remote to Rita, who switches the channel as she digs into her knitting bag. Tom dashes towards the stairs. Hun, look. Tom steps back down the stairs and approaches the television again. More UFO sightings flash across the screen. Then, a tsunami is in progress. A tide engulfs an entire beach as boats capsize and people flee. Sci-fi movie? Nope, this is another documentary, Rita offers. Tom sits again, grabbing the volume. Don't forget to upload your volume three book, Rita chimes in. Tom sits riveted, unmoving. The screen filling his eyes. I know, doing it tomorrow. Chapter 26, 1968, Riverville, Connecticut. Shailene watches the conflagration, her eyes reflecting as tongue, her eyes reflecting the tongues of fire. By the time they pulled up two streets away behind the movie theater, Montgomery Ward was engulfed in black smoke. Shailene had made her way through an alley with Bob at her heels towards Main Street, where the fire trucks busily distinguished flames. From massive hoses of water, like snakes, striking in a huge spray of firepower. Running water like rivers flowed down the gutters, taking with them pieces of history. They paused across the street from the conflagration in time for a couple to witness the flames leap from the department store a block down on their left and commence eating away at the building next to it. Shailene stood entranced as the leaping flames consumed the bar on the ground floor. Clustered around Shailene, people from the party the adjacent building, and a group who had just left the bar stood watching in awe. Nearby, several people stood in shock. Some were soot on their faces, some wrapped in blankets near the waiting ambulances. It was less than half an hour ago when she and Bob had exited the bar with kegs of beer. They had narrowly missed the fire that now ate away at a block. Then, a penetrating siren, as if wailing to announce for the tragedy, engulfed Shailene's ears. A second fire truck arrived, and the group around her parted to give way as the firemen leaped off to untangle the hoses and unscrew the hydrant nearby. However, it was too late. Shailene watched as the aggressive heat penetrated the building in front of her, and her family's building caught fire. She spotted her father and mother just then, arms around each other on the forlorn street. Her uncle and aunt huddled together in a downpour of firewater, ash, and loss.
She looked up as two hoses in unison sprayed relentlessly at the third floor, but the entire top of the floors, the entire top floors, including their home, was now an ashen mess. Shailene spotted her window, the fire escape, and the mist that appeared to issue from within. She imagined and hoped that the mist that departed was the uninvited entity that haunted her nights for several years. She hoped that whatever her father had stored there was forever gone in flames, entombed and now part of history. Shailene turned away to find her sister Annie by her side, her eyes shining with tears. She reached for her in an embrace born of protectiveness and love, as if reading her thoughts. Annie prodded Shailene and pointed towards the group huddled watching the bar go up in smoke. Steve stood with his friends, watching in silence, his hair in wild tufts from running out of the burning building. Shailene had a secret to share with her sister that night rudely interrupted by a fire that consumed their home. She decided to allow things to die down before springing the news on her siblings through her parents. Secretly, she hoped that the fire ended not only their life punctuated by fear, but a torment of trying to predict what they would do next. With an inner joy born of freedom from fear, Shailene hugged Bob and Annie as they watched the fire consume their past and reduce to ember the ashes of a haunted home. She smiled a smile, no one else would understand. 27. They are here, West Coast. Let me take a drink here. It's hot. It was funny because when I got out of this area, because it's almost closed off here, and I walked over there to go to the door, it was like three, it was like five degrees cooler. You could just tell it was cooler at that side of the, of the room. It could get hot in here. The road meandered, edged with trees, crowding in a huddle, branches as if, as if reaching for Tom's car. Their massive foliage reached above the road in a deep canopy, leading an air of mystery to the secondary road. Tom turned the wheel at a slight right and found himself merging with traffic on a two-lane blacktop. The stretch of road ahead, the stretch of road ahead, more populated, widened as the trees thinned out. He was at the edge of a suburban area, approaching the town limits. Suburban houses, cooking. Cookie cutter with their identical sh shingle roofs, shutters, and small porches, stood like soldiers on either side. Tom passed in review, excuse me, like a colonel with a mission, his eyes intent on the bookstore up ahead. In his mind's eye, he visualized the map on the the maps on the shelves, mentally ticking off how many he would need. He eagerly anticipated uploading his third volume on Amazon after after celebratory dinner of sorts feasting on short ribs and roasted chicken his son had prepared and left in the fridge. At a stoplight, Tom looked down at his mail. He had a post office box just for mailings he received from people who completed his questionnaire and preferred to print out the replies. He also kept the box for conferences and any mail that he felt would, would be safer sent to the post office box. He reached down to leaf through the rubber band and mail and was taken aback by the sheer volume of junk mail. As he examined it closely, sorting past the junk mail, he found to his delight three completed questionnaires sent back in large envelopes provided to those who followed up with the hard copy request. One woman, he recalled, had no printer and didn't want to email back, back her replies. Another didn't want to glare, didn't want, didn't want the glare that came from reading on a screen, while another preferred paper over an online questionnaire. Tom felt it was worth it to comply with the request in exchange for what may be genuine responses to his query for close encounters of the fourth or even fifth kind. 
Most experience felt most experiencers felt threatened by ridicule, and even had a real concern for what their employer would do should they find out about something that appeared inconceivable or pointed to a mental instability. It was a shame. A car behind him honked. Oh, sorry, a car behind him honked Tom out of his reverie, and he looked up. The light, the light was green. Tom stepped on the gas and noted the detour signs, which he took with some aplomb. He turned to follow them and ended up turning into a road leading to the local mall. Oh, well, he thought. It's not that long of a detour. Then he encountered a flagman holding a stop sign. Two minutes turned to ten. Tom wondered about the responses to his questionnaire as he fiddled with the mail and began to impatiently tear at the envelope of one. While he sat waiting, he spotted the diner where he had chatted with Vaughn from the meditation forum on Facebook. On impulse, Tom waved at the car behind him, clicking on his signal and turned the Volvo into the parking lot of the strip mall. He parked in front of the diner. Tom was eager to come in out of the growing cold and have a cup of coffee. And to open his mail. It was only 3 p.m. and the sun wasn't due until 6 to make dinner. Inside the well-lit, vintage-looking restaurant, with vinyl seats and booths graced with the paraphernalia of Elvis and Grace Kelly posters, Tom sat at the counter and unraveled his mail. He looked up at the waitress in her, in her pert, starched blue and white trim uniform and ordered black coffee. He tore into the first envelope and paused when he heard earthquake. When he heard earthquake. He looked up in time to see another UFO documentary on the small television perched on the wall. Again, it was about earthquakes and the bizarre lights in the sky that preceded the catastrophe. Strange stuff, isn't it? The middle-aged waitress said. Tom nodded as he glanced at the waitress. You're new, he ventured. I am. You're from here? I am. Well, good. What do you think of these shows? Tom paused, not willing to start an argument while he was there to wait and relax. I kind of like them. You think they're real? Tom sipped, hoping she would go away. Strange. It must be a marathon on some channel. Well, do you think they're real? She prodded. A fly had alighted on the woman's blue hair. Depends. Depends on what, she persisted. On proof. Proof of what? Proof of how many siblings coincided with the earthquakes. Siding. I'm sorry. Phew, it's getting hot again here. Coincided with the earthquakes. She studied him, one hand wiping the counter. Tom sighed and wiped his lips. How would you do that? Prove it. Yeah, how would you? Tom sipped the last, last of the cup and left the bills on the counter. She looked back puzzled. I would. I could. You can? She asked, surprised. I could try. At that moment, Tom realized why he had been, why he had been seeing the same type of shows, documentaries that focused on earthquakes and sightings, all in a span of several days. It must be a message, he pondered. Something he should examine farther than what the shows on the television had provided. Besides the correlation between the earthquakes and sightings, was there causation? Did the presence of UFOs create earthquakes, or do earthquakes summon UFOs to visit the skies? In light of this recent experiences, his recent experiences, which coincided with the publication of his two books, he was now on alert for seemingly, for seemingly all these events. The correlation between his two books, I'm sorry. Yeah, public. Okay, all right. The correlation between his two books, publication, preceded by UFO sighting was interesting. Now he was seeing another coincidence conveniently presented in a series of documentaries. 
Out on the road again, the flagman waved Tom, and he finally waved at Tom, and fi he finally entered the turnpike, smiling. He glanced down one last time to make sure all the mail was in the car. Then it felt like time had paused. Tom looked up in surprise, nothing, noting the strange silence around him. The car's engine, the lack of other vehicles on the road, and the muffled construction site that should have produced a cacophony of swords. Something fast and bright materialized ahead in the sky. A bird? Tom slowed, surveying the highway. Where did all the traffic go? He was alone. He stepped on the gas, focusing ahead. Out of the sky, something was definitely approaching. It turned, aiming for him, closing in towards Tom's car, something glowing, fast. A red ball, closer. A large red fireball with a white center. Larger, closer. Tom raised an arm in a defensive posture as he stepped on his brakes. Whoop. The object grazed the windshield and bounced away. Static. The glass shimmered with impact. The windshield held. Tom, shocked and dazed, signaled right, signaled right and moved the car to the side of the highway and slowed. The car came to a full stop. He touched the windshield. It was still hot. He leaned back. Tom inhaled as he attempted to interpret what he just encountered. Suddenly it dawned on him. On the eve of uploading his third book, the universe once again had replied to his meditative request. Just ask. It answered, not once, but thrice. In utter disbelief, Tom emerged from the driver's side onto the shoulder's white line as traffic passed by. He inspected the windshield from outside. He looked up at the sky now filled with stars. He reached for the cell phone to note the time of the event. He had just unplugged it from the charger before leaving the house. The battery showed red, empty. Chapter 28, 1969, Riverville, Connecticut. The mobile home was fairly new at four years old, according to the realtor. And according to the realtor, the interior was customized before the resale. Bob reached for Shailene's hand, the small diamond glinting in the sunlight. She had just told her sister and brother the news of their engagement, showing off the ring, which took a year for Bob to purchase with whatever savings he could put together. Today was the final day they were out shopping for a mobile home to begin their life together. The excitement shown in Shailene's eyes was mirrored in Bob's steps. Next, they planned on visiting her parents, who had moved to a house on the outskirts of town past a forest. Secluded with a lake and located near a dead-end street, it ensured not only privacy but a welcome respite from living in the center of town. After returning to take a second look at the interior, Shailene nodded to Bob, and they signed off on the purchase contract. Hand in hand, they exited and waved to the realtor. Shailene took in the woods at the back of the mobile home, this time walking around the land which they were about to rent. She noted they had a neighbor situated several yards beyond the, 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 the copse of trees that bordered the backyard. Otherwise, they had the privacy they craved after growing up in a town where homes had postage stamp backyards and the neighbor's laundry hanging to dry was a common sight from the bedroom window. The silence was new to both Shailene and Bob, and they welcomed it. It was several miles from the border of the town they both grew up in. They walked a lot and crossed to the, to to the neighboring forest and took in the view. The breeze waved at the scent of the evergreens, moss, and the delicate fragrance of wildflowers. As the afternoon grew into twilight, the scent of night jasmine took hold of the yelling breeze. Dusk was settling in as Bob pulled away from the property in his Ford Fairlane. 
a used car inherited from his parents. With Shailene riding shotgun, he steered the car towards the bar in town where friends were joining them to have drinks and catch up on events. Bob rolled the window down on his side and asked Shailene to do the same as it was a balmy night. Shailene put her arm out to get a feel of the breeze through the open window, looking at her finger as she let the wind blow through her hand. The diamond ring glinted in the dying daylight and, respond, and responded with the street lamps as, as, they, as they showed to park, as they slowed to park outside the bar. Okay, guys, we're going to stop there for today. Chapter 29. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. Everybody that was, uh, let's get going here. Everybody that was on Facebook listening, everybody that's over on TikTok, everybody on YouTube, thank you so much. Sorry I had to take that break. It does get really hot in here sometimes. Uh, that spotlight I use is a, uh, it's, it's not a fluorescent, it's a, it's a regular spotlight, and sometimes it can get overwhelming. Anyway, I want to thank you all. Uh, TikTok, if you like what you saw today and uh, you, you want to hear more, tap that screen. Show me some love. I see we've got some likes over on, uh, over on, TikTok, over on the YouTube and Facebook. Okay, this is a show that goes on uh, six days a week. Sundays we uh, Sundays I read from a book. The rest of the week I have I have guests on talking about paranormal stuff, UFOs, you know, and not just all that, but other stuff as well. You know, sometimes we'll talk about we'll talk about current news events and things like that. But that's six thirty p.m. Pacific time. And for you guys over on TikTok, since I don't have the capacity to do that, do do those shows like I do this one, you can check us out at YouTube doc. You can check us out at you youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. Okay? Anyway, if you like what you see, share it with five people. If you hated what you saw, share it with uh, five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. We're just trying to get the word out about our little show. Kind of like a little show that could, right? Um, but I want to thank everybody for coming tonight and watching. I know it's Father's Day. and we, you, guys, you guys probably had other things to do, right, with, with your families. So I'm going to let this go here. Oh, yes, and tomorrow night's guest, before I forget, it's going to be kind of fun. We're going to be talking Irish folklore with Morgan Daimler. She'll be here at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. All right, guys, have a great night, and I will see you all tomorrow.